0: in the great American Southwest. I bid you all good evening and or good morning wherever you may be across this great land of ours from Guam, out across the date line, all the way east to the Caribbean and the U.S. Virgin Islands where I'm going to go visit one day, south into South America, north all the way to the pole. This is Coast to Coast AM, worldwide, of course, on the Internet. All right, now, uh, to that portion of the show promised. He does not do frequent interviews. Barely ever does them. Uh, As a matter of fact, that really goes for both of these uh, gentlemen. I now would like to bring on uh, Mike Rogers and Travis Walton. So let's do it one at a time and be sure we can get them uh, planted properly. Uh, First, let's go to uh, Mike Rogers. Mike, are you there? Yes, I'm here. Okay, you hear me okay? Yeah. All right, good. Uh, Let's see if we can bring uh, Travis on. Uh, Travis Walton, good evening. Are you there? Yeah, I'm here. Oh, excellent. We've got you both just fine. Um, All right. I don't know where to start. I sat down uh, and watched Fire in the Sky again and took notes this time. And uh, so I guess I'll kind of move through it the way they did, except I would like to not do it the way they did with the flashback in the beginning and then the the story taking up. Uh, Mike, you had a government contract of some kind with the Forest Service? Right. What was that to do? Well, we
1: had to thin out the trees that were damaged and diseased and and whatnot after a logging operation and pile the debris. Uh, Basically, it's just kind of an ecological program that uh, cleans up the forest after logging and makes the trees grow better.
0: All right, and you were the crew chief for that. Right. Uh, How big a project was it? How long were you going to be up there?
1: Uh, We'd been on it about a year and a half at that time. (laughs)
0: Oh, yeah. I see. All right. so it was it was pretty a
1: good, pretty good-sized contract.
0: Exactly. Uh, you were married at the time, Mike. Uh, are you still uh, in a divorce status?
1: Right. I haven't been married now for
0: many years. <laughs> okay. Um, I guess uh, at the time also, the movie went into the, the, the thing that you had some financial troubles? Uh,
1: the movie took a few liberties. I wasn't really having financial troubles. I was having troubles
0: trying to live the
1: American dream and have quite as much as I wanted, I guess.
0: Mm-hmm. And um, and then it covered a little piece where Travis uh, drove up on a motorcycle and wanted to start a motorcycle shop there. Is that right, Travis?
1: Yeah.
0: So you did do that?
1: Well, we had, uh, you know, various businesses. Uh, we thought we might get in together, but, you know, the motorcycle thing was more kind of my idea. I don't know that Mike and I had plans together.
0: So the movie, the movie at least was pretty true in that area.
1: Yeah, I was kind of into motorcycles at the
0: time. All right. (laughs) Scene shifts, and you guys are on the way up to the mountains uh, to do the contract. And on the way up, Travis, you got into kind of a thing, a bit of a friction with with Alan Dallas.
1: Yeah, well, you know, he was kind of a a wild guy, and uh, he'd had a little friction with
0: probably several of the guys
1: on the crew
0: Mm -hmm. at various times. You guys arrived okay at the worksite then, worked all day, left the worksite around dark. Was it already dark when you left?
1: Well, not quite dark. It was, it was getting dark. The sun had gone down, and it was darkening.
0: Okay. Um, then you, uh, on the way down, I guess, um, you both saw something, some sort of... Uh, glow or fire in the sky? it, it The way the ma- movie made it look, I've seen fires at night, and it looked just like a fire in the distance, kind of lighting the horizon. Is that about right?
1: Well, we could see it through the trees, and, you know, first we didn't know really what it was. We thought it might be a, a forest fire, but it was more of a, a golden color rather than a red mm-hmm. uh, color.
0: And, and then it apparently moved? Well, um... It, I mean, did it look like a fire was spreading, or did it look like just the whole thing was moving?
1: We were just puzzling over a lot of different things. Uh, nobody really talked about it while we were looking at it because, you know, there wasn't that much time. We saw it, and, you know, I th- heard the guys kind of one by one fall silent from, you know, the various conversations that were going on. Mm. So I assumed that they were all looking at what I was looking at, but nobody said, like, you know, starting to analyzing out loud what it was. Uh, there was more, you know, what was going on inside of our heads.
0: If you would had to guess then, would you have said fire or plane crash?
1: Um, well, it, it was puzzling, you know, because at first I was thinking uh, fire, but then the light seemed to be coming from higher above. You know, I knew the ridge top was just a little bit above us, but this was from higher above that. So that's the reason the plane crashed. Maybe it was like hanging up in a tree or something.
0: And I guess we ought to identify exactly where this was. Where was your work site?
1: It was uh, the highest area uh, up on the Mogollon Rim, Um uh,
0: forested uh, region up in the mountains of Arizona. Mm-hmm. And so you were um, at about what altitude, do you think?
1: Oh,
0: I don't know. What do you think, Mike? 7,500 feet. <laughs> 7,500. Oh, you were way up there then. All right. Um... Then, in the movie, uh, as they always do in movies of this kind, you know, the radio started to go crazy. Is that also accurate?
1: Well, um, we didn't have a radio uh, on at the time. (laughs) Just... uh,
0: So that's a little dramatic license they took, then? Yeah. Yeah, okay. Uh, At any rate, um, did you guys head toward this, or did you just keep going down the road... And that took you closer to the line. Yeah, that's the way it was.
1: See, there was just no other way out of there and uh we had no choice but to keep going in the direction we were going.
0: All right, and somebody yelled to stop the car. Was that you, Travis?
1: Um, yeah. Yeah, I guess it was me. Um as soon as we got around this this uh group of trees, this thicket, uh to where we could see the source of this Somebody in the back yelled out, it's a spaceship, or something like that. And, uh, I mean, it was unmistakable. It was so close that, you know, I mean, everybody knew what it was right off the bat. Nobody needed to say what it was.
0: Okay, in the movie, and again, it's, you know, I'll I'll tell you what the movie did, or I'm sure you know what the movie did. They showed it to be a craft, but uh, then at other times they showed it to be sort of a living light, almost, I, I, did they get that right, or how would you describe what you saw?
1: What, what we saw was um, a, a very distinct as, as a mechanical object with, you know, hard, angular edges. It, oh. it didn't have the shape that they gave it in, in, the, in the movie. Now, the guys described it as looking to be the color of molten metal coming out of a blast furnace. But, you know, they're talking about white hot, golden hot, you know? Sure. So you know they gave the craft in the movie a kind of a molten red, flowing sort of look that
0: that wasn't really the way it was. How far? How, if you had to judge, or uh, either one of you who saw it, how far above ground was it? Mm. If you were going to guess. Oh, I don't know, twenty feet. Uh. Twenty feet? Oh, that's not far. In other words, it was way down below the tree line.
1: Yeah. Oof.
0: So that's close. That's, that's a close encounter, all right. Then the movie, Travis, shows you getting out of the truck. Is that right?
1: Uh, yeah. Um, I was thinking that this thing was just going to zip off and be gone, <laughs> you know, the way it is when you catch sight of a, yeah. of a wild animal in the woods. You know, you're just going to glimpse it, and it's going to be gone. And so I was in a hurry to get up to it before it left,
0: <laughs> you know, here's where i got to stop you for a second, Travis You know in the horror movies When inevitably the lady uh, You hear this noise, this horrible noise And inevitably she goes to one place She shouldn't go, down to the basement Where something <laughs> eats her <laughs> So in other words, here you are With a pretty frightening thing going on A ship hovering, what, 20 feet above the ground or something And you get out of the truck and go under it uh, it's kind of a crazy impulse <laughs> when you think back on it now do, can you remember what you were thinking when you did that
1: well i was kind of given to impulsive behavior back in those days It <laughs> certainly you know changed me and i'm not that way anymore but you know at the time i was just thinking that you know it'd be gone and i'd miss a chance to see up close plus you know the guys were really alarmed by what i
0: was doing and they were yelling at you to come back to the truck.
1: Yeah, they were, uh, you know, and getting pretty excited about that. So, you know, that kind of egged me on. So, okay. but I was having serious misgivings because as I got closer to it, it didn't take off.
0: I understand. Uh, was there any noise?
1: Yeah, um, it was a very strange sort of a sound, a kind of a high-pitched, cyclic sound with some real deep tones. that just, you know... It seemed to
0: be so deep you couldn't almost couldn't
1: heal it. Would you would you, it would you
0: describe deep. it? Would you describe it as real loud or just there?
1: Well, it was just there. It wasn't tremendously loud at first, but then at when I got closer, and it, it suddenly got louder and it started to move,
0: <laughs>
1: and it rose up a little bit, and that really scared me. And
0: uh, they're still yelling at you, uh, Mike. I'm sure you're still yelling at them from the truck, right? Oh yeah. Uh, did you, are you is your recollection of it, Mike, um, like his regarding the craft itself and the noise?
1: Oh, yes. Yeah. Uh, In fact, uh, there's, there's little difference, if any, between all the guys that were there and the descriptions of everything uh, concerning it, from its distance to its size to
0: its look and and the sound that it was giving off. Okay. At this point, there's what, six of you in the truck?
1: There's that? Well, six in the truck, yeah.
0: Six uh, in the truck and Travis phase seven. <laughs> out there under the craft. Um, so there's Travis under the craft. How much time went by, Travis, before uh, before your memory either ends or th- that bolt of light hit you?
1: Well, it was just seconds because as soon as it started to to move, you know, I, I jumped for cover and uh, resolved. I made up my mind to get out of there and get back to the truck like they were saying. Mm-hmm. And as soon as I raised up to go, wham, that's when I went out.
0: Just at the very moment, common sense overtook you. <laughs> <laughs> now, in the in the movie, it showed this bolt of light that came down and literally threw you up in the air. Is that is that accurate or is that dramatic license?
1: So what they did there in the movie uh, didn't quite look the way it actually happened. In fact, the movie didn't make it quite dramatic enough. The movie did some things that were a little a little exaggerated. In other places, they under-exaggerated, and that's one of the places where the movie didn't make it as dramatic as it was in real life. Uh, the thing that hit Travis, whatever it was, was so powerful that it blew him back like an explosion. It didn't it didn't gently lift him up and throw him back like that. It it, it was his going backwards was the result of a very uh, uh, hard a blast of some kind, like I've described it many times as like a hand grenade going off in front of him. And he was blown backwards, literally.
0: Wow. And, and uh Travis, is that where your immediate memory ends? In other words, were you out cold?
1: Yeah, I just I just kind of felt a numbing sort of a shock, but but it was just I was out instantly.
0: Out instantly. All right. Then at this point we shift back to you, Mike. Uh, there he is, laying on the ground. Looks like he's been blown up by something. And that's when the panic hit the fan, I guess, with you guys. At least that's what the way they showed it in the movie, and I can imagine that's the way it was. What did you guys think?
1: Well, uh, the movie depicted that real well right there. It's almost identical to, to what happened <laughs> afterwards. I mean total panic it, it wasn't i don't even know if it was, showed in the movie two or three seconds before i hit the gas i, I think i hit the gas more
0: more or less. immediately seeing him hit the ground you thought he was dead
1: well he looked dead flying through the air and he sure looked dead when he hit the ground on his back he didn't didn't even flinch didn't make a motion when he hit the ground okay, stuff so rolled up around him and and we were we were headed down the road
0: uh, I can imagine you were and you say it was almost uh immediate. You didn't want to end up like you thought he was.
1: Right, it was a panic situation.
0: All right. So then they showed the truck just careening down this road. Uh, I I don't how fast were you guys going, do you remember?
1: If they could have actually taken footage of that truck going down
0: the road, it would have looked almost
1: exactly like it did on on the movie. Wow. Uh,
0: and then the, then careening is the right word. Hitting things. Oh yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. Oh really? Smack mirrors. Busted the mirror off, you know. Uh, there were there were actually humps in the road which they didn't show there. Humps uh, that were bulldozed up mounds of dirt to prevent erosion. And every time I hit one of those things, the truck would go flying. And, oh, uh, And you know, crash down on its shocks real hard. And uh, All right, yeah, how- it was it was a real crazy uh, panic. Uh, flight
0: (laughs) how far down the road uh going i guess still going down the mountain right how far down the mountain did you get how much further away from the scene did you get before you started talking about stopping and going back
1: uh not probably not even a quarter of a mile uh you know we me and ken peterson who was sitting right next to me the one sitting between travis and i in the front seat of the truck he was the next oldest to myself he was only two years younger than me he was twenty six I was twenty eight mm-hmm. and he was like the the next oldest travis uh, was actually four years younger than that but uh Ken and I both seemed to realize about the same time that uh you know here we are flying down the road like this but it was it was like as soon as I could see that it wasn't following us as soon as you could tell from looking in the rearview mirror and the other guys looking back and uh, it's not following us. Whatever it is, it's still way back there. We've got a quarter of a mile distance between us. In fact, uh, in the trees, we've lost sight of it. And uh, then, then it's not quite so panicky. It's like, you know, what do we do? We we left Travis back there.
0: Yeah, in a way, you're like Travis. Uh, common sense returned about a quarter of a mile down the road. Right. Uh, so it, it hit both of you really the same way, utter absolute panic, I, I do understand. And so then uh, you began—you finally stopped the truck, is that right? Yeah, uh,
1: did stop the truck a quarter mile down the road, just hit oh. the brakes and stopped.
0: All right, both of you, hold on one second, we'll be right back to you. My guests are Mike Rogers and Travis Walton. Now, to uh, Travis Walton and Mike Rogers, I'll try to give them equal top billing here as we go along, uh, back with you again. So, Mike, uh, the truck stops, and you say, watch.
1: Well, Ken and I looked at each other, and uh, nobody said anything for a moment. Oh. And I, I said, you know, finally, we, you know, we're going to have to go back, uh, you know, and somebody in the back, Alan, I think, yells out, "What?" Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, you know, we we left Travis back there, and, and uh, you know, he he certainly looked hurt. Uh, we need to go back, and of course, you know, a quarter of a mile down the road, it didn't, it didn't take very long to get there. The speed I was traveling, and and uh, this is not something that took well. They started arguing about this, and uh, after a couple of minutes. We got out of the truck, all of us, but, but one I think, and uh, we stood out there on the other side of the truck uh, side of the truck away from this thing because I'd made a left hand turn, and now this thing was looking back to the north and across through the forest there, and I really couldn't see any any light or anything at all. We put enough distance between this, and the forest it was thick enough through the quarter of a mile of foliage there that we couldn't see a thing.
0: Yeah, dark again.
1: Right. And, uh, yeah, we're standing there in the dark. It was even a moonless light. There was a sliver of a moon just about to go down on the horizon. just just a sliver. And it was really getting quite dark there. And uh, so after a little bit of a a hectic discussion, a a wild and crazy attempt to explain what had happened to each other, there was no sense going on there at all, really. The only sensical thing was that Travis is still back there. and We don't know what happened to him. We don't know what's happening to him. We need to go back. It wasn't very brave of us to leave, and, and we need to go back. And, and finally, uh, we just made the decision, at least Ken Peterson and I made the decision, that we had to go back. Unlike the movie, where in the movie they had the guys stand there by the road, that's one difference there. In reality, everybody elected to get back in the truck and go back rather than stand there in the dark. Oh, that's
0: a bit, pretty big difference. Uh, that, yeah. And as a matter of fact, I would think the other guys would resent the way the movie portrayed them.
1: Well, yeah, there has been little of that. Well, for all of us, I guess. there's There's been the, the good and the bad as far as the way we looked at the movie, but uh, this was one particular difference that made a lot of difference to me because it made it look like I was the only one that went back at all and, and uh, had any... Uh, you know, look see, when in reality everybody went back. And uh, one thing that made it easier for us, and I think was kind of the reason why we just went ahead and went back, uh, is because as I was rounding the truck to, to get back in my door on the other side of the truck, and the other guys were getting in, we looked back over in the direction that this thing had been, and, and a, a, a light, this thing never really got above the treetops. It just you could see the light, I mean, it, it lifted up and streaked away to the the
0: northeast. Oh, my streak. Well, now, see, they missed that one in the movie too, really. Uh-huh. Uh huh. So you're saying the craft, uh, and you were how far from it? Still a quarter quarter hour, of a mile away. Quarter of a mile away, and you saw it lift up and streak away at this point. Right. It was it was so fast,
1: and you know, you couldn't see it clearly because you're looking through the trees. Remember, these these trees right next to us are, are reaching to the sky, and there wasn't any way that you can see anything clearly but you can I, you can see through the foliage you can see this this light a quarter of a mile away uh, raise up and uh and streak away wow and
0: uh all right so at this point then uh everybody piles back into the truck and you go back up uh, uh back up the quarter mile to the site where you last saw Travis?
1: Well, there was a little more discussion that went on there, but it takes a long time to explain these sort of things. But yes, we did we did go back. And it had been maybe 15 minutes at the most before we actually went back to the site.
0: All right. Gentlemen, here's where you get to take a rest. We'll be right back with you, all right? Be back. All right, both of you stay right there. Stay planted, everybody. I've got guests. Mike Rogers who was the crew chief, uh, along with uh, Travis Walton. Travis is also here. And we're talking about an incident that occurred, an abduction, the abduction of Travis Walton, as depicted in Fire in the Sky and sometimes not as depicted in Fire in the Sky. In other words, we're getting the real story. Uh, Travis Travis, uh, had already encountered the, uh, uh, the vehicle, the craft, whatever it is you want to call it. And it had uh, thrown a light on him, zapped him backwards, literally almost blowing him up. Uh, Mike and the rest of the guys had taken off down the hill. They were uh, down the hill, as a matter of fact, about a quarter of a mile away, finally decided uh, to turn around and go, go back and get Travis as soon as they calmed down uh, after that truck careened down the hill. And uh, they're just about to start back up, and we'll get to them in just a moment. Let me take care of the commercial continuity right now. with Mike Rogers and Travis Walton. Welcome back, both of you. Yeah. Okay, um, Mike, uh, so here you are, I guess, headed back up the hill with everybody in the truck. You're going to find Travis, and I take it you go up a little slower than you came down.
1: A lot slower. Yeah, we we headed back up there, and very, very slowly, very cautiously, uh, we were still in a mild state of panic. I mean wouldn't have taken much to, to cause us to turn around and run, but uh we were headed that way and and we did get back to the site where where this had happened and upon doing so since the thing was gone and and there was no trace of it, it took a little bit of time to actually make certain that we had the the right clearing but uh once we had done that and we're certain we had the the right place and we're sure that we were in the right spot uh we took a flashlight out of the glove box and shown it around there while we were still in the truck. Uh, not seeing anything. Uh shown the flashlight into the clearing where Travis had fallen and he wasn't
0: there either. No depression in the ground like in the cartoons, you know, a Travis Walton depression in the ground. Well nothing this, like that. This
1: was ninety to hundred feet away where he fell, ninety to hundred feet from the road. Right. And uh so you know you couldn't have seen a depression from that distance, uh, but we, you know, we there was a, a slash pile, a pile of logging debris there in the middle of this clearing, which Travis had been standing next to when when he'd gotten hit, and uh, so we used that as kind of a a, lo- a locating device, and he wasn't anywhere in that clearing that we could see. Uh, Brother. So uh, we. Just showing the light around for a while, uh, still being very cautious, very timid, uh, frightened, uh, completely mentally uh, overwrought. Just you know, emotions were, were at a, a high point. You were probab- probably in a
0: state of shock.
1: Oh yeah, I'm sure that that we were. I mean, uh, I, I know what shock has been explained to me like, and I was definitely in a state of shock. And, The other guys later on explained their feelings of it similarly, but uh, we eventually pulled the truck up into the clearing where where the headlights of the truck shone right into the clearing and right where Travis had fallen. And uh, then there was another discussion that had to take place about getting out of the truck and looking around. And again, it was a unanimous decision that uh, everybody do it together. Uh, Rather than me or Ken getting out, everybody decided to go with us rather than stay in the truck alone. Mm -hmm. So we were all walking around out there, but we were all very close to each other, you know, shoulder to shoulder. Sure. Six men, you know, just as close together as they could get. (laughs) I understand. (laughs) And uh, we had the one flashlight, but we walked up and down the ridge. We looked for everything. The only tracks we could find, which were... Barely visible in the pine needles intermittently, a heel mark in the edge of the road that I saw before we got out of the truck. And then, uh, you know, there was, you could see uh, the the pine needles were disturbed there where Travis had fallen, where he had stood. But that was the only sign of him. There was nothing else there. And there were no footprints in the road leading out to. but you know, from what we saw of of the way that this thing hit him and how he flew backwards and how he hit the ground, it it was pretty unanimous feeling among us that uh, that he wouldn't have gotten up from where he lay.
0: You know. So he had to be taken.
1: Yeah. Well, everything put together, uh, all this put together, uh, it made that very strong. And. uh by the time we left there to head back down the hill to to notify the authorities, uh, we felt that he had, he was taken. I mean, it was it was a real strong feeling. Mm-hmm. We had no other explanation, and All we right. know that he didn't walk out of there. We know that we, we didn't feel he was hurt in the first place. It, you know, he looked dead when he hit the ground, and and uh, we were certain that he had been abducted.
0: All right, so you guys drove back to town, uh, probably half in a state of shock the whole way and reached this uh, cafe gas station that they showed in the movie. Is that accurate?
1: Oh, fairly. Uh, there, there, wasn't, there wasn't a lot of people around, like in the movie. They, they added more people and whatnot into that. But what actually happened is that we, we stopped there. In fact, on the way into town, uh, see, I wasn't the one that actually made the call. Uh, I guess they just chose to use my character throughout the movie there in, in certain places uh they do things like that to simplify movies i understand that so, and
0: because you had been the crew chief so correct. in certain they would imagine that you would act in who, who did call
1: well uh, a guy who they even changed his name in the movie uh his, his real name is
0: ken peterson uh in the movie uh they called him something else i don't remember right now what it was had but, you had you guys made a decision all of you that you would call i mean you knew No, that was the problem uh i would have called normally But I was against it. I
1: didn't believe that that we would be believed. Uh, I thought that we should report it as as a a person in our crew missing, that somebody got lost, and and try to get somebody to help us search for him. In fact, I didn't even want to uh, notify the authorities. I thought we ought to uh, just get some people. I didn't have a deliberate plan in mind or just go up and find Travis. Yeah, I, I just knew that we needed to look for him before the authorities were notified, because I just knew that they would not believe this. You know, yeah, and and that was my feeling. So this was a discussion on the way back into town, and so by the time we got there, it was Ken Peterson that called, and the reason he called was because he was very firm. He was he was the guy in the movie that was, uh, even though they changed his name, he was, he was depicted as the choir boy, the the steadfast.
0: Uh, the church-going fellow. The
1: church-going choir boy, right? Yeah. Uh, never told a lie in his life, and that's a very accurate description of Ken Peterson. Uh, and he was very adamant about reporting this to the authorities. He he wouldn't take any other uh thing for for a way of doing it. I mean he was firm on that entirely and so he's the one that called. And he and he called uh he didn't know who the authorities were, but the, the call that he made there in Heber connected him with the Chuck Ellison who was a local deputy there, Navajo mm-hmm. County deputy. Right. And uh, he's the first one we talked to, and then after talking to him for a while, and, and I don't think that Chuck Ellison believed it at all, just like I suspected, but after a while, an hour later, uh, after Chuck Ellison had notified the county seat, the actual sheriff, who was Sheriff Marlon Gillespie, uh, came down with another man, uh, an undersheriff,
0: Ken, Ken Copeland, with him. So there was nobody named Blake Davis? no those that was a composite character yeah okay and uh and lieutenant Frank waters also composite exactly Mhm. Right. see there
1: were a lot more law authorities all altogether involved, and to get all those people and their real names and their uh you know there was composite characters i've got you that was done several times in the movie because the movie involved a lot more characters everywhere along, and they had to simplify that, I guess is the only exp- explanation I know of, but it makes sense that they would do that.
0: Well, there was one point there uh, where I guess just before the um, the law arrived, you said, "Look, we're going to stick with our story," or somebody said, "We're going to stick with our story." Was there a general agreement to do that? Well, it's funny. I think the
1: movie was trying to play a kind of a murder mystery type of thing to the to the audience. Oh, uh... in reality, this stick to it is, you know uh let's not have contention among us here even though we have differences of opinion of what we should do and what we should say to the authorities it was like you know ken says i'm gonna i'm gonna call him, and i'm gonna tell him the whole truth here and and i hope you guys don't don't you know try to act differently because this is what we need to do we need to tell the complete whole truth about this thing and just let the chips fall where
0: where they may well you had to know one of the place places those chips were going to fall was in the murder column in other words they were going to suspect this because of the nature of the story.
1: There was well, no see, way, not at the to. time. We, you know, I, I really didn't have that in mind uh, because we did not know what happened to Travis exactly. We had our own feelings about it, but we certainly didn't know that he was going to be gone, or, or you know, especially for as long as he was. Uh, I, there was no way I could foresee the future at that point, and I wasn't concerned at that point with with the way it eventually turned out, the accusations of murder and everything. To me, it was just we shouldn't tell them the whole thing right now because because they'd not going to it. it. I never thought going that they wouldn't it. even come and search for him if if we told them about the UFO.
0: I know. Um, I'm I'm curious, Travis. Um, I don't mean to leave you out, but this is the part where you're left out, Travis. When you hear all this now, mm-hmm. you know about all that went on and what they thought and what they did. I know that after the whole thing, you felt, according to the movie, some some resentment that. Uh, Mike and company didn 't come uh, didn 't stay there and uh, and try to get you that they took off when you hear all of this now from Mike and others, what goes through your mind? I mean, do you suddenly understand or do you still feel any resentment
1: well you know i I felt less resentment than than Mike might have believed for a while. I mean you know back when this happened uh, Mike. Every time he was interviewed, you know, somebody would ask him, "How could you go off and leave your friend like this?" You know, Mm -hmm. so they were really dumping this load of guilt on him, which, which really added to the sort of feelings that he was getting from my family, you know, during the search and things. Sure. Uh, So it was kind of a blame situation that uh, that came about, and he kind of uh, misread me as to as feeling that way. I don't, I don't, I don't really. You know, I've, I've always said, <clears throat> excuse me, that uh, that they, uh, you know, they did what they had to do. Yeah. But, you know, in a, in a similar situation, I can't see that it would have made any sense for anyone to have done any different than they
0: did. Jumping out to the end of the movie for a second, or the story, uh, was it a year, a year and a half that you guys really didn't see or talk to each other? Was that accurate? Yeah. But, uh, you know, there were some other things involved there, too, but, you know, that was a part of it. Mm-hmm uh... did you really get together the two of you at the end as they showed uh... go back out to the area uh, we've been out there uh, a few times few times it's i might try to avoid <laughs> <laughs> all right uh... back now mike to you um... So this went on. there was five days of pure hell i mean travis was gone for five days what did that what happened? You 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 talked to the police the first time, I guess. They arrived and you started telling them this story.
1: Yeah, it was a, it was a very harrowing five days. Believe me, it, it was the worst five days of my life, and it didn't get much better the next several days after that. But uh, yeah, they the sheriff, although he's always held held a line publicly that he's skeptical. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think he was the only one of the three police officers that we met with that that night that uh, gave us a glimmer of hope. He he partly believed, at least. At least his mind was open to the possibility that what we were saying altogether was true.
0: Well, here's a guy who probably knew you. It's a pretty small town there, and he he knew your characters.
1: Well, in reality, he had actually had uh, a, a sighting himself. Uh, not too long before that, a, a few months or years before that, and uh, I, I guess from what I've heard, uh, this this was what made him at least open, open-minded to the possibility. He never just totally believed it, but it left him open enough before he could take what we were saying serious
0: to an extent. Sure. And it made it possible for them to go out and conduct a, a real search. Which uh, which they did. I guess the movie showed helicopters out. Oh the, yeah, it was the, dog dog teams, the right. whole thing four days' worth of searching altogether. How many men were involved in that?
1: Oh, gosh, uh, 50 to 100. I don't know how many. uh, I'd just be taking guesses. I don't think anybody knows that actual figure, but it eventually involved aircraft and and helicopters helicopters and uh, dogs and, uh, you know, what's funny about the search, the one thing that I always bring up about it, that the movie uh, never showed, is that this search was so thorough that these guys would come back from a jog out and around with their hands full of debris that they had found in the woods. Mm -hmm. Everything from pop tops to beer cans to old oil bottles, you name it, old old pieces of logging equipment, uh, you know, pieces of cable and whatnot. They literally slicked those woods up and they'd come back and throw them in the back of the pickups. And they, they, they had piles of debris there that was gathered up This is how thorough the search was. They were looking for every little speck or clue that they could find and and managed to clean up the forest in the process. And uh, I thought that was kind of funny. I always have since then thought that was kind of an interesting little part of the whole thing.
0: Well, it's interesting because they didn't find even a trace, did they? Right. Not so much as a footprint. Wow. So Travis was gone. In other words, he wasn't... uh... Uh, there's, there's no way we could imagine he was conked out, uh, unconscious, somewhere in the area. They'd have found him. That's right. He would have been found. That's really the truth of it. Well, all right. So they didn't find him. Were you up there during the entire time of the search? Uh,
1: not every single hour
0: of it, but yep. almost. All right. Meanwhile, back in town at this point, how many people started thinking that you had... Uh, you uh or um, the wild one they called him i think alan dallas right uh had dispatched travis
1: well there were people who thought that almost immediately in fact uh, you know in the movie they they have the travis's brother called dan right this is another composite character in reality there were two brothers one's name is Dwayne, and the other's name is don and dan was a a name in between combined the two brothers together. In reality, one brother was very uh, uh, supportive because he believed this, because he had an an experience himself a few years before that uh, where he had seen something fairly close range in the woods uh, while he was hunting. The other brother uh, was totally the opposite. He was hot mad. Mm. Uh, He was certain that that foul play was involved, that his brother had been murdered.
0: And uh, there were some confrontations between him and, uh, and us, the crew. Well, I, I'm sorry to say it, but I, can, I, I have sympathy with that. I mean, if somebody... By the way, you too, i I've seen a craft myself, so I, I have a lot of sympathy with the story you're telling. But uh, if you came back with a story that, sorry, your brother's gone, may, may be dead, uh, we saw him hit, he looked like he was dead, and it was aliens, you know, that story's not going to go down real easily.
1: Well, that's what I say. It's funny. The one brother took it that way. He he believed that foul play was involved, while the other one, the one that knew me best, uh, was completely supportive and, and believed everything that we said about it. So uh, two two brothers, uh, full brothers, took it exactly opposite from each other. Interesting. Yeah, and that was kind of the whole mode of the town there. Uh, that, that summed up the entire reaction of the town. Uh, you had those that were almost completely supportive, And those that were just, uh, those who believed that we had murdered him or or the whole thing was a hoax or something. But it was very divided that way, almost down the middle. And that's what made for a a real uh, wild situation in the town there for several days, in fact, ever since, really.
0: Well, the the fellow they called Alan Dallas, the bad apple or the bad seed or the drifter, um, was he um, as hot-headed as they depicted him to be in the movie? Yeah he was yeah so then there was some reason that you know particularly since uh, Travis did you really have that uh, that altercation with him
1: well we nearly come to blows uh, you yeah.
0: know you know it'd be even kind of
1: a situation that it cropped up with not just me but uh, some other guys in the crew Mike uh, actually got in a fist fight with him
0: and you know, so, so then if you're so then if you're a cop, if you're a lieutenant or the sheriff or whoever, and and you're getting told this story, you're going to figure this Alan Dallas character might have done in Travis. Right, you know, of course he had an attitude about police too, of course. Yeah, I'm I'm sure he did. Well, then that's exactly the way they showed it. All right, uh there was a town meeting, Mike, wasn't there?
1: I Imagine there were several. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but So you didn't really walk in on a town meeting the way they did? No, were
1: that, was, that was, again, that, you know, that's the, the condensation of a much bigger story. But I had confrontations with a number of groups of individuals in the town there
0: during that time. And uh, they just chose to do it that way in the movie, which summed it all up, really. I'm sure you were thinking Travis is never going to be found. I'm either going to be suspected of being or put on trial for murder or something like that.
1: Yeah, by the fourth day of the search, by the second day of the search, uh, those those accusations were beginning to arise, and and by the end of the fourth day of the search, they were uh, hot. It was full full blown, yeah.
0: All right, you two, hold on just a moment. We'll be right back. Back now to Mike Rogers and Travis Walton. Hi there, you two. We're back on. All right. Now, uh, here we are in town. They're beginning to suspect you strongly and the other guys of murder. Maybe Dallas. Maybe all of you. They don't know, and they keep asking questions. At some point, uh, according to the movie, they wanted you to take a lie detector test. Is that right? That's right. Uh, uh, I imagine you thought pretty hard before you uh, decided you'd take it.
1: Well, not really. Uh, We all knew that we we're telling the truth. Uh, there was no doubt of that. And we certainly knew we didn't uh, murder anybody. And uh, they wanted us to go down to the county seat, which we did the following day. And they had it all set up for us. They had a uh, lie detector man up from Phoenix, a DPS, uh, State Police Polygraph Operator. Mm-hmm. His name was Sy Gilson.
0: And uh, he looks like a mean guy (laughs) you know in the movie they made him look like Mr. Friendly and uh, everybody said he's the best you'll be happy with this and all the rest of it
1: today he sort of looks like Mr. Friendly uh, you know 20 years later (laughs) but back at the time he looked pretty stern and he acted real stern and and, uh, uh, he was very intimidating and there was a a little conference that went on before these started early in the morning. It was a a, a Monday morning, mm-hmm. and uh, he he really had us intimidated pretty bad there. To the point to where uh, after he went to set up the machines for for the lie detector tests, uh, some of the guys, including myself, were feeling just a little bit uncertain. We we were a little bit afraid that just by the way this guy acted, in the intimidating manner in which he talked to us there, we were afraid maybe there was some government involvement. Oh. Uh, that, uh, but, you know, it turned out that that just wasn't true. It was just, it was just simply, a, you know, a feeling that, that we had. That uh, maybe this guy had been bought off, and he, you know, we were all going to fail these tests, even though we were telling the truth. You know? Well, that's
0: so, what I—that's what I would have been worried about. That, uh, you know, I—I I would feel intimidated, uh, probably like Cato Kalin in front of uh, Marsha Clark or something, and my pulse would start racing, and the machine would say I'm lying. Uh huh. Yeah. Is <laughs> that, that
1: about right? Well, no, we weren't worried. You know, we knew we were telling the truth. I had no idea how how polygraph machines worked. You know. Uh, we just were basing our feelings entirely on, on his attitude. He was a very stern guy and uh, very experienced, obviously, and it was just a, the way we felt because of the way he was acting. It made us feel very intimidated and we felt like he, he was being too skeptical. Mm-hmm. He was acting extremely skeptical and he had popped me on the back of the arm with his, with the back of his fingers. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm on my arm with the back of his fingers. And he'd say, you're not lying, are you? And pop me on the shoulder, you know.
0: Boy, boy. <laughs> you know, I'd be thinking he's trying to get the graph to spike. <laughs>
1: well, he had, us, he had us intimidated. He definitely did. And
0: all right, well, so you all took it. And, uh, you know, the impression I got from the movie was that one of them was inconclusive, but that the others had all passed.
1: Yeah, and the inconclusive one, of course, was the Alan Dallas. But not because he wasn't telling the truth. Uh, him being the person he was at the time and involved in a few more things than, than anybody actually knew at the time, uh, you know. He might have been afraid they were going
0: to ask him something he didn't want to answer.
1: Right. Mm-hmm. He, he was really on the spot, and he was concerned about being in that position. And I guess that something happened. Uh, never have heard the, the complete explanation. But You know, these lie detector tests, it's not just like they ask you a series of questions once. They actually go through it at least three and uh, maybe four and even five times. Mm-hmm. The entire Each test uh, actually involves several series of questioning. Each series of questioning is, is pretty much identical, but but the the whole thing altogether per person took uh, two hours or more. Oh, boy. So, you know, you really get grilled, and, and so you don't, you don't just go through the thing one time. What happened is Alan had gone through like two run-throughs of this thing. And somewhere along the line, and more or less in the middle of the testing series, uh, something happened between him and the examiner where Alan got mad, thought that indeed this guy was bought off by the government uh, for some reason, uh, and and that in combination, that feeling because of something that the examiner had said to him. And so he gets up and he pulls himself loose from the machine and he stomps out of the the room and 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 came back and I think I think he was like the second one tested. There was one before him and he he had drawn the straw for second, and I'd drawn straws for like fifth or something like that. Mm. So at that point, uh, I volunteered to go in ahead of my my scheduled fifth place in line and and went next after Alan because uh, I figured that uh, somebody needed to. To cool the situation down, I, I knew that we we couldn't just all get up and walk out. But because of Alan's anger, because I, knowing Alan's personality, I figured that his reaction there was was more his personality than anything. And uh, we we didn't want to have this thing end that way. So I I went in next, and, and uh, the examiner kind of explained a little bit of what happened with Alan, but he wouldn't tell me a whole lot. He just he just said, well, you know. Uh, he thought I was the next one in. And only those guys knew who was in order because we'd drawn straws among us to go you know, in order. But once in there, uh, he went ahead and, and convinced me by talking to me that, that uh, he was on the up-and-up, that there was nothing you know, going on here. He hadn't been bought off. Uh, he was just doing his job. He was going to give you
0: an honest test. And
1: he, yeah, exactly. And that's the way he presented this to me. So I went ahead and, and was tested then. And the whole thing, you know, went normally, and and then the next couple of guys came in, and everybody got done. It didn't didn't finish until late that
0: night because it took so long for each one. Ooh, that's a big process.
1: Yeah, uh, the examiner really went through a day there.
0: And then they kind of at the uh, at, at the end of that day, they said, well, uh, everybody seemed to be telling the truth, and there was one inconclusive. Would you say is Dallas? I want to clear something up about Dallas. Before we go on, Travis, uh, Dallas had a cut on his hand.
1: No. No? Well, he may have cut himself at work, but it had nothing to do with any fight that we had.
0: So that was movie stuff? Yeah. Uh, they were trying to imply that there had been some fight between uh, you and Dallas where he might have gotten that cut.
1: Yeah, there were there were theories, you know, about uh, chainsaw murder and that sort of thing. And, uh, you know, the, the movie went uh, out of their way to sort of add suspicion or questionable circumstances that weren't really there well they need a story like, there was no national inquirer in, in the truck that day you
0: know oh really no. now see that it, had i been you travis or or you mike i'd have been really angry about that because the clear implication was you guys were sitting around the truck yucking it up drinking some beer or something and uh read this story and decided to perpetrate a hoax that was the clear implication wasn't it yeah well you know that was
1: that was the reason they threw that in there was to add suspicion and the. And movie, you know, ignored a lot of, uh, you know, corroborating evidence and, and threw in a lot of suspicious things
0: that never really happened. Yeah, but that one would have made me angry. Would have made me angry. Because it, it cast doubt on all of your characters.
1: Well, there is one thing Travis passed over there between him and Alan. Alan did nearly hit him with a tree that day.
0: Yeah. Oh, that was true then. Yeah. I'll be darned. Um, did you figure, did you think, uh, Travis, he was out to get you one way or the other or pick a fight with you or something? Well,
1: yeah, and I think that uh, that may have contributed to his anxiety in the testing, is, you know, because the, the the thrust of the question was, do you do you have harbor ill will towards this guy? But, so you know, even though he knew he didn't kill me, he was in a situation where, you know, if he denied ill will. Sure. He, you know, he'd be lying on the test, and I would show up, and if he admitted it, then they... Then they would just fuel the suspicions that were directed towards him, and so I think that kind of added to his anxiety. There.
0: All right, I'd, I'd kind of like to, Travis, try and ask you about what you can remember. The movie, the movie, Travis showed, of course, very specific things. Um, the movie showed that you were in a cocoon-like area, um, almost like a beehive or something. Did they take this from your description, Travis? No, uh, they just, you know, as a matter of fact, the
1: the script that I was given didn't have that sequence uh, aboard the craft in it at
0: all. It was totally uh, mythic from the copy. I I understand. Um, Travis, what do you remember? Well,
1: you know, there were certain things that occurred in the movie that, you know, sort of uh, symbolized Things that I underwent uh, left you with the same kinds of emotions, but as far as the actual events were concerned, none of it was really there you know except in symbolic form. there was no uh cocoons. there was no the, the ship itself looked uh very clean and
0: uh hospital like it was not all trashy and oh my organic. that's yeah that's yeah. very different, very very different so You know, you lost consciousness, obviously, uh, when the light hit you. Right. And uh, what is the first thing that you can remember after that? Just pain. I was just coming to, and I
1: was in a lot of pain. And I didn't come to very quickly. It was kind of like in and out for a long time. And I was kind of half conscious and half wondering what had happened to me. Uh, I could hear movement around me. And I even remembered approaching the craft, but I figured that that I'd been injured somehow and that I'd been taken to a hospital.
0: Were you lying on a table or in a bed? Yeah, I was
1: lying on my back and there there was a light above me.
0: And I know what you mean. You're kind of half-conscious, in and out, in and out. I've been there myself. Um, So... You slowly, slowly came toward consciousness. Yeah, and there was this thing lying across
1: my chest. It was kind of like holding me down. I wasn't moving too much because it, it hurt, and I was felt really, really weak. But when I finally got where I could focus my eyes, um, and made out the, you know, these faces that were over, standing over me. And, you know, they were not doctors. This was, this was
0: something that just totally blew me away. Is the appearance of these creatures. Can you describe them? Can you remember generally how they looked? Well, they were humanoid you know and they had they were just uh
1: large eyes uh kind of a large cranium uh no hair, no hair uh, it was It was just such a shock it was just uh, it, you know combined with the pain and and you know not being able to breathe, it just flipped out
0: were they just standing around you, or were they communicating among themselves? Can you recall? Well, they were, you know, kind of uh, standing over me. At least one of them was
1: closer than the others. And when I saw him, I just involuntarily sort of lashed out at him. And I, I was just so weak that it was just more of a push than anything. And my uh, my arm hit him in the chest and
0: knocked him back into uh, to the other one. Did he feel? Um, I, I've never talked to anybody who's hit an alien before. Did he go over easily? Yeah, it was much lighter than I expected. Huh? I, you know, even though I was so weak, he
1: just fell back quite easily.
0: But he was so, solid substance. Yeah, sort of soft and
1: spongy, but you know, it, it was it was as real as anything.
0: And he got pushed backwards.
1: Yeah. I. I was in a lot of pain and having a lot of trouble moving, but I managed to get to my feet and back away from them. Uh, Their thing fell off of me. Uh, What fell off? Well, this instrument. I don't know what it was. I don't know what they were doing to me, but whatever was going on, I was putting a stop to it.
0: Did you have a feeling that they didn't expect you to wake up?
1: Well, looking back now, but at the time, I was just total confusion. I, you know, I was in such pain, I wasn't really fully conscious, but at the same time, I was, you know, just hysterical. So it was just kind of this animalistic sort of instinctive uh, fear. Yeah, I hear you. I would be, too. Just screaming and, and lashing out at them. And they stopped when I did that and uh, turned and, and left the room simultaneously. They all just turned and went out the door. Huh. Oh, there was
0: only one, one way out of there. It was, uh, can you describe the room? You say it was like a hospital. Was it really hygienic, uh, white color or? No, it was metallic, but it was just yeah. very bare and it was featureless. Uh, incidentally, did you have any sense of movement, uh, Travis? Presumably you were in a moving craft. Could you? F- no, I felt no movement. No I, movement. I didn't hear any sounds,
1: like mechanical sounds in the distance either. And, you know, I,
0: I wasn't in the most, uh, tuned-in state, but, you know, I, I just don't have any memory of, of anything like that. All right. Uh, let me try this. From the time that you were hit with the light until you began began to raise from consciousness, uh, unconsciousness, how much time do you guess passed? You know, that that's
1: one, something that really bothered me because, you know, the time that I recall aboard the craft, you know, even though I was hysterical and it kind of affects your perception of time. Sure. Couldn't have been... Couldn't have been uh, more than an hour or so at the most, probably less than an hour. And uh, in the, in this this span of time, even though I was missing for five days and six hours, I don't know where in there this conscious period occurred. Whether I was this coming to was soon after I was taken on board, or or, or later on. Well, how
0: much, if you had to guess? How much total conscious time can you remember spending in that craft? There were five days in real time that went by. How, to you, how much time went by? Well, it just seemed like a matter of minutes, you know.
1: Uh, in, in in retrospect, at the time, it just like forever. i got to get out of here. i got to get out of here. It was just total panic. But, uh, you know, it was
0: just less than an hour probably. So it felt like less than an hour in the craft total? Yeah.
1: Uh, Wow, they uh, left the... I don't know whether there was some sort of time dilation or contraction effect going on here, or if I was just unconscious the rest of the time. Or...
0: Maybe, uh, maybe it was your last. Uh, it was the last hour uh, before you were actually returned. Maybe you were unconscious for a very long time. Uh, I know that in the movie they had, they examined you uh, when you got back, and they said you had not uh, eaten or had anything to drink in five days. Is that, is that accurate?
1: Well, the medical tests are, are kind of, I don't know, I, I need to look into this perhaps, but they, they say that if you haven't eaten for five days that you'll uh, have uh, certain chemicals in your urine that uh, will, you know. It'll begin it. to show up in your urine, yeah.
0: yeah. No, but, I, you know, I, I don't know, is that true of an unconscious person? You know, I don't know. Um, I would imagine so. In other words, the body's processes, conscious or unconscious, continue. And if you have not had nourishment in that time, then I would imagine that would be so. Um, So you spent an hour of conscious time in that craft. Did they ever come back into that room?
1: No. I was afraid they would, though. I was really terrified of that. And they'd gone out this hallway down to the right, so I just took off to the left just running
0: oh wait a minute this was there, there was an open door yeah oh excellent I figured they'd have locked you in <laughs> but they didn't no so they, you just walked out yeah, yeah and they I, went to the right so you went to the left yeah that'd be my choice too
1: yeah well I tried to find a way out uh, um, and uh Push some buttons and controls and things, you know, trying to open a door. Crazy, desperate sort of things. But, uh, this was interrupted by a, a person, a being coming in who I took to be human. I figured I was sa- saved. And, uh, uh, when he motioned for me to go with him, I uh, I went thinking that, you know, he was, you know, saving me, rescued me. Uh huh. And, uh,. He led me out of this craft.
0: Out of a craft? Yeah.
1: And at this point, it w- was parked inside of uh, what appeared to be... Well, it was either a building or a part of a larger craft. Wow. And again, I felt no movement, you know. Getting outside of there, the air was much more breathable. Uh, the air, the, the light was brighter, seemed
0: so Smart. you were you you uh-huh. were either walking out or you walked out of this one craft either into like a hangar or a building or another craft who could tell I guess huh no but it was completely enclosed yeah there was like panels
1: where light was coming through you know whether these were artificial lights or or actual sort of translucent windows I don't know but um, I didn't get too much a chance to uh, look around he hurried me out of this large room down a hallway to another room where there were some more people like him.
0: All right, Uh, that's where we're going to have to break it off. You two take it easy for a few moments. It's a great cliffhanger point anyway, and we'll be right back. It absolutely is. I make no guarantees about getting to the telephone. We're going to let this story unwind as it needs to unwind in just a moment, we will return to our guests, Travis Walton, the abductee, Mike Rogers, uh, the crew chief uh, in the group in which uh, Mr. Walton uh, was present when he was abducted. And we'll get back to them in just a moment. Back now to my guests, Mike Rogers and Travis Walton. Uh, uh, Hi there, you two. We're back again. Travis, um, I just got a fax from somebody in Washington, and they asked the following. Though there are many questions I'd like to ask both Mike and Travis, my main question is why the human-type being, the one who showed Travis the star map, was never shown in the movie?
1: Yeah, that's very curious. You know, and I've always been really amazed at how many times I've been interviewed uh, over the years in which uh this this being is just kind of like excluded from from the report It you know it, it came off that way from the very start and to me you know this the 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 amazing similarity to human is this could be the key to the whole thing and you know for people to just ignore this
0: maybe uh maybe it may be, travis the movie makers thought gee how pedestrian or how common to show somebody who looks like a human and they wanted to just show aliens uh, or alien-looking beings. Yeah. Could that be? Yeah, you know, I, I understand the, the
1: reason for it, but, you know, uh, in a commercial sense, but to <laughs> <Sure. laughs> me, you know, trying to figure out what's going on here, this is this seems to be a key element.
0: Did, uh, did this human type, was he um, as human as anybody else or were there any differences? Well, there was something
1: odd about his eyes that I never was able to really pin down, you know.
0: All right. Did he say anything to you? No.
1: I you know, I was really trying, but I thought that maybe it was because of this helmet that he was wearing. A uh, helmet? That he couldn't speak to me or hear what I was saying or something. But when he took me to these other people and they didn't have helmets, I started over with the same, uh, you know, torrent of questions and, they didn't answer me either. they just
0: uh, started to uh well put where me on the table where were these okay he took you out of the one craft into what was another crafter of building, and to some other beings yeah human looking beings human looking beings and,
1: and they just you know put me down put forced me down on this table. I started to try to fight back at that point, and uh, I was still too weak, and there were too many of them. And they put a mask over my face, and
0: oh. I went out real quick. Oh, uh, in the movie, of course, it showed this really weird membrane-like stuff being put over you, but it was a mask. hmm And you went out. It was yeah. a- it was anesthesia of some kind. Yeah. Apparently, uh, I just went
1: out real quick, and the next thing I knew, I was waking up uh, on the roadway outside the
0: town nearest where this happened okay that's something they never showed they they showed you uh at a sort of a gas station uh uh, store type affair Mm -hmm. all curled up and naked uh and and wet i might
1: add (laughs) so it it wasn't raining and i was dressed but uh you know I, i looked around after the craft left and 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 uh you know figured out where i was what kind of condition were you in i was still kind of weak but and still a little bit of pain cuts bruises no not like that um I was just kind of psychologically blown out you know it was just I was just really probably glad to be back on earth oh yeah you know (laughs) I just ran just as hard as I could down across the bridge there was some lights on in this one building.
0: This did, did you, would you let, let me ask you Travis, did you know where you were when you when you regained consciousness and looked around? Did you recognize where you were? Well, at, at first I didn't, but I figured out the stretch of road and the lights down there where I must
1: be. And uh, and then ran down into the town. The closer I got, of course, the more I knew that it was the, the town. Sure. And uh I you know to make a long story short I finally uh was able to telephone my family and they came and got me.
0: In the movie of course you telephoned uh, Mike. Right. Is that but you no, did not It was another brother-in-law. It was another brother-in-law. And uh he came and got you. In the movie it showed your condition was terrible. I mean you were all curled up and screaming and uh and not, not very with it. Um, is that right or half right or all wrong? Yeah, was, that was basically how it was. I was dressed, though.
1: Um, I thought it was the same night. I didn't realize how much time it got by. Wow. And then on the way back, they said something that kind of let me know, you know. I'd your face. You know, I had this five-day growth of beard. And look at your watch. And... and
0: quite a shock to me. I just kind of broke down at that point. As you look back on this now, Travis, do you think you were taken just because you were crazy enough to walk out there under that craft? Do you think they decided you were a target of opportunity? Do you have any idea what they wanted with you?
1: Well, it's all just speculation, you know, but uh, I, 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 a lot of people, you know, try to suggest that they were waiting for us there but you know I, I think that it was just kind of an accident at least i prefer to believe that this was just a bolt from the blue <laughs> so to speak no yeah. pun intended. and uh that you know it's just a one-of-a-kind sort of incident that i can just put behind me and get on with my life
0: well, I know that you both really love reporters, don't you? <laughs> well, there's been a few good ones, but, you know, we've had a lot of trouble with people getting it right, either intentionally or unintentionally. Well, I know I'm interviewed frequently myself by the press, and I worry most about that when you uh, talk to a, uh, a newspaper reporter, inevitably. I mean, it's like they have to get it wrong or something.
1: Yeah, it's just, I mean, just... Well, sometimes it's not like anything malicious. It's just just basic facts, you know, people's names, dates, places. It's just never right.
0: Well, that's why radio's better.
1: It really gave me a lot of insight into looking at the news. You know, when I see things going on, I always wonder what really happened there.
0: Hmm. I I understand. Um, but a few of them have had it right. Yeah. and there. If you were to guess, and I know it is just speculation, but again, you, you think it was just all sort of uh, happenstance. Do you have any guesses about what they did with you for that time? Well, it, it,
1: for a long time, it was just something that, you know, there was just a, it was like there was just a fragment of things, and, and you couldn't, didn't really have enough information to go on. And it was just something that would have just driven me nuts you know to try to to piece something together from what I remembered at the time, so I just sort of put it out of my mind and
0: tried to get on with my life and, and live as normal a life as possible and not just constantly delve into it you didn't you didn't uh, end up being consumed by it, wanting to go to a hypnotherapist and get regressed, and all the rest of that you know, sort of was, stuff. You know, I was invited to go to a lot of
1: gatherings and, and you know approached by people who had similar sightings. To, to uh, the greatest extent, I've I've avoided that, you know, and uh,
0: just tried to get on with my life. When there was a lot to adjust to and a lot to cope with. So, yeah. Uh, when when you go through something like this uh, tonight with Mike and you sort of go back through the whole story again, is it like reliving it? Yeah. You know, it, it never fails to just get me all wrenched up in,
1: inside. And for a long time, I didn't talk about it hardly at all. But when the movie happened, you know, I was kind of in a situation where, you know, I was being pressed for large numbers of interviews all of a sudden. And, uh, I was afraid that it was going to just make me so sick of the subject I never could speak of it again. That it would just build up to a point where it'd get worse and worse. But actually, it's kind of had a desensitizing effect on me. Yeah. Even, even though, you know, i I'm still there to a certain extent, I, I do.
0: I'll feel a little easier to talk about it than I used to. All right, right at the end of the movie, uh, Mike, uh, this is for you, they they rolled something that said, uh, and I think this audience ought to know, that another lie detector test was administered and every single one of you passed.
1: Well, there were only three of us that took uh, these, this new series of uh, tests. Uh, what happened was there was, there was a fellow by the name of Jerry Black who caught wind of the movie being made uh, just just as the movie was uh, beginning to be filmed yeah, back in the summer of 1992. And uh, Jerry Black uh, approached the screenwriter, Tracy Torme, uh, on the phone at first, and, and he was trying to get Tracy to cease the the movie, to chop it off, because he said, that, you know, this this whole thing is a hoax. Uh, Jerry Black uh, was a personal friend of some major skeptics, uh, although he himself uh, is a believer in the UFO phenomena. And uh, that was his first initial uh, approach to this thing. And then after launching, eventually, a whole new investigation into the thing, because Jerry Black is a UFO investigator, uh, he came to the point to where he thought, well, what we need now. Is, is some new tests because the first tests uh, everybody took them everybody passed even alan dallas of course uh, according to the police report that was uh, finally came through after all these years showed that alan passed part of the test that he took mm-hmm. but what jerry black wanted for his own personal conclusion to his investigation was a new new lie detector test uh, for me and travis and alan dallas who he considered to be the the, the lead characters of the thing. Alan, because uh, Alan was not only a lead character, but was the one who had an inconclusive test in 1975. So in February, uh, first week of February 1993, uh, just a month and a half before the movie came out, uh, we all submitted to uh, a new light detector test. And Jerry Black chose the same uh, the statefully po- polygraph examiner, Cyrus Gilson, hmm. Uh, who then had uh you know twenty years experience something like that uh he he had been in in it all these years since then, and he was a very experienced examiner at the time in nineteen seventy five and uh by this time Cy Gilson uh, had worked uh, uh to develop equipment and machinery uh that is unbeatable and is computer assisted in analysis and Jerry black was uh very convinced that that uh, the last niche in this investigation was these new polygraph tests, it, it, it would you know just polish it off. So we we finally, reluctantly, but finally agreed to the to these tests and took them. And uh, Travis, as a matter of fact, took two. He was in there all day long. Taken wow! Lie detector tests, two separate tests with two separate lines of. I,
0: I was about to ask that Travis uh, took one himself.
1: Yeah. Well, he Travis took one years ago, back and you know when this right after this happened and passed passed it. But uh, uh, you know this was this was first time that Travis had taken a test with the state police polygraph examiner
0: and the new whiz bang technology. Exactly.
1: Yeah. And uh, we all three uh, passed the test uh, to the highest degree possible.
0: Uh, and then what did your skeptic friends say?
1: They haven't said anything about it to this day since. Uh, The major skeptics have never come forward in the the last uh, two years to say anything about these
0: new tests. Well, it is widely regarded as one of the best documented cases um, ever. There's no question about it. Let me go back just for a second to that moment when Travis phoned home, so to speak. And uh, how did you get the news, Mike? I mean, it must have been pretty important to you. Here you are, missing a friend, probably accused in the minds of many of having committed murder and all of a sudden, bang, Travis is back.
1: It didn't happen like that with me. I wasn't the brother-in-law He called. Again, like I said earlier, they, they kind of used my character throughout the movie for a lot of things. Uh, even though uh, I was present throughout this entire time and, and a kind of a lead character in the thing, they, they gave me the role of doing certain things like calling the police initially and then again uh, being the one that Travis called or from telephone booth, you know.
0: Oh, right. No, I understand that that you were not the one called, but surely somebody at some point picked up the phone, called you, and said, "Guess right. what?"
1: Well, see, this is where I kind of got left out. Uh, everything that happened uh, when Travis's brother and brother-in-law uh, went out and, and picked him up, uh, he was he was actually had already been transported down to Phoenix and was beginning this this process of of, of being uh, yeah. analyzed by doctors and hypnotists and. Psychotherapists and every every expert that they could throw at him. I didn't even know that he was returned uh, for almost a whole day after he had actually been returned. uh, Nobody had even told me for a long time. Of course, when I did learn of it, you know, I was elated. I was I was thrilled. I was I was relieved. uh, You know. And, uh, well, you see, what happened at the time was, uh, my brother, uh, had been watching what had been happening to my mother and, and the way the, the, the police and the media were just unmerciful. You know, she'd had to be sedated and the, and, and the kinds of things that were being done to the family and in the community
0: and everything. And they just felt that, you know, he, he said, oh, that mob is not going to get hold of this guy. How, how were they treating it in the media, Travis? Uh, well, you must have read all the clippings now. Were they making a big joke out of it? Was it a murder mystery in the media? What were they doing? Well, you know, it was one theory after another, you know. Of course, right at first it was just a
1: murder, and then it was a drug hallucination, and then it was a, a, a transitory psychosis. It was just one thing after another, you know.
0: I'm sure they tested you for drugs.
1: Yeah, the medical tests revealed no trace of any drug in my system. and All my psychiatric tests were perfectly normal scores, uh, but, you know, it was no end to the sorts of accusations, however uh, baseless, and, you know, it, it it turned into, you know, a long series of
0: attempts to try to set the record straight. So they got you in Phoenix. They put you in the hospital in Phoenix, huh? Yeah. And uh, came at you with what, a battery of tests and uh, doctors yeah. to come in and have little conversations with you? Yeah, that sort of thing. EKG, EEG, uh, you know, the whole shooting, Matt. Did they find anything wrong, anything, for example, that physically could have caused you to go into a coma-like state, say, for five days? Uh, no. Nothing. Nothing like it. Wow. Uh, so, what did you do, Mike? You heard he was back. You heard he was in Phoenix. And uh, after you high- sighed a big uh, sigh of relief, I'm sure, um, because uh, you were accused, and your friend's back, what did you do? Well, obviously,
1: I I wanted to to get down there and, and see him, you know, but uh, I wasn't able to do that for another couple of days more. No. It was it was like maybe three days before I was actually able to see him for the first time. And this is one area where where the movie uh, Fire in the Sky actually got real simple. They they showed him in the movie being put in a, a local a hospital and treated very normally. The hospital was quiet and. And I snuck in there during the night and got past right. the nurse to talk to, to my buddy for the first time, you know. That's right. And in reality, this thing was a media circus. Uh, there were there were a whole team of doctors and people there, and uh, they had him bound up for for several days before I was able to to ever get a first glance at it. Couldn't hardly go anywhere. Walking across the parking lot of the hospital. Hey, there he is. There he is. That oh no. <laughs> it was just crazy, you know, just crazy stuff. They put me in the hospital under uh, an assumed
0: name. Oh. Oh, so... uh but, I kind but of it, delayed the media. But, but at it, some point they, they saw you walking. Yeah. How were you going to handle it in the media, uh, Travis? I'm sure you thought about that. You know, what am I going to say to them?
1: Well, you know, I was just a, a country boy. I wasn't really very... Well versed in these kinds of things, I didn't know how to handle it, you know. And I guess I was a, a sitting duck at times.
0: <laughs> uh, uh, so did you did you talk to him, or did you tell him to get lost most of the time?
1: Yeah, I, I I I just wasn't up to talking for for quite a while, you know. You still don't like talking about it, do you? No, it's it's still kind of upsetting,
0: but uh, you know, I feel that it's important to set the record straight. Maybe it's important for you way. too, because every time you go through this. Maybe a little you know like another piece of it or the pressure of it falls away from you a little bit yeah just just a little all right you two stay put we'll be right back to you my guests Mike Rogers and Travis Walton the story of fire in the sky only uh, this is the real thing and we'll be right back. For some craft to come back and for you to then understand exactly what happened and what it means in a larger scheme of things? Yeah,
1: in other words, we would like for the mystery to be solved. Um, you know, by by somehow, some, maybe not being the person that gets out there and solves it, but, uh, you know, it, w- it would be nice for it to be known. If it's
0: going to remain a mystery I'd just as soon get on with my life. Yeah, I can understand that. Getting wanting to get on with your life. Um Travis, what of uh, of your whole experience of what you remember of it, um what was the uh the worst and most terrifying moment for you? I mean when you flash back on it and you think of the worst, what was that worst moment? Uh well, you know, suddenly seeing them and their eyes the
1: way their eyes just seem to look into me does that haunt you still yeah it does and that's been you know something that's been in the center of every feeling you know not exactly flashback but when I think back you know that's that's the part of it that just
0: is the most intense other than when some uh, a crazy person from the media like me comes along and talks to you uh, is it getting now to the point where you think about it less and less, or does it still come to you regularly? Well,
1: I work at not letting it. <laughs> you know, when somebody brings it up, that, I never bring it up, and I just never
0: bring up the topic of conversation. I can't blame you. Uh, are are the two of you now? Close, would you would you both say you're you're close since it or what? Well, we were we were
1: close uh you know, prior to the incident and you know, we had a falling out in the in the interim. But we've kinda of passed things up and we're getting, you know,
0: to where we more like it was before. Were you really close friends? Yeah. Best friends? Mm-hmm. What about the others? Uh, Do you stay in touch with them? Have they fallen away? They've just fallen away. Most of them, you know, are in other states, and we have rarely talked to them since this happened. Mike, uh, for you, in the movie, uh, it showed your wife at the time uh, kind of in a crisis and not believing you, and and, and ending up uh, crying and not believing you. Is that about the way it happened
1: well uh she she did believe me that that was uh, I think they just did that for some sort of personal drama there going on, and kind of an explanation for why there was eventually a split up between us but uh as far as her wondering what to believe, that wasn't just her that was those all of our relatives uh, travis's family, my family uh, I think everybody struggled in that way. And uh, my wife, at first, didn't know what to think. Uh, and in the movie, they,
0: they didn't actually show her saying that she didn't believe me. Uh, they, just, no, that's they just right. not believe that by the way they did it. Yeah, they showed her crying as though she couldn't, it, it couldn't say, yes, I believe you, right. or something like that. Right, but she
1: like did that. have an awful hard time with the community, and she was in a personal crisis on a, as a result of that, and that was instrumental in our divorce.
0: Well, I'm sorry. Uh, are you still in touch with your children?
1: Oh yeah, as a matter of fact, uh, 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 eventually I got real close to my family. I've, I've been close to my, my children, especially all, all along, but uh, uh, I, it's not like my, I, my family was taken away from me. We, we've always lived in the same town.
0: <laughs> what, do you, what do you both think now? Mike, do you think your family completely uh, buys the story? I don't know one that doesn't. Travis, same deal. You think your family buys the story? Yeah. Well, you're both... You know,
1: and, and a lot of people here in the town, you know, over the years, uh, it's grown more and more in favor of it because as one theory after another just sort of fades away, I mean, the the evidence against it comes forward. You know, people are faced uh, forced to face the facts, and, and you know, belief has grown.
0: Well, I imagine it would, particularly with the latest lie detector tests. Yeah.
1: The movie did a lot for it, too. And it's partly a personal thing. You know, a lot of people that I meet uh, very often remark that, you know, they, they're skeptical, but after meeting me, it, it changes them. And, you know, all of the actors in, in, the, in the movie, you know, said the same sorts of things.
0: Well, it seems to me as though the real story, as you two have told it tonight, is to me... A lot more convincing and a lot less trying to throw doubt in the mind of the audience than the movie I mean they threw doubt at several places with the the tabloid newspaper that never happened all, all the rest of it when you When you guys sat down and you watched that movie for the first time, um, how would you describe your feelings after seeing it were you Were you amused, upset, angry?
1: Well, you know, it kind of uh, became apparent to me in, in a sort of a gradual way that how these departures were being made. And I was I fought against that as best I could and,
0: uh, and successfully
1: to a certain extent. You should have seen what they wanted to do.
0: <laughs> in other words, as the movie was uh, being produced, you had some input? Yeah.
1: But, you know, no power to veto things. I was just able to get them to not do certain things.
0: Every now and then say, hey, you guys are nuts. This didn't happen.
1: Yeah. And I kind of wore out my welcome, I guess. But, uh, <laughs> um, you know, I, I kind of faced the fact that, you know, they were they had commercial considerations and they were just going to do what they were going to do. And so um, when it came time to see the movie, I'd kind of uh, come to terms at least in part with some of it so it was kind of like an emotional uh
0: reliving in a way that was pretty intense all right just uh probably just one more question um i had my own sighting you two and i thought really long and really hard before i admitted it publicly because of the job i do Mm -hmm. and i might not do it again and i guess that's my question for you if it had not been for travis being abducted, and you all had just seen this craft, and instead of uh, losing Travis, you'd taken off back to town in the truck. Would you, would you two have, would you have told this story, or would you have kept your mouth shut? I would have kept my mouth shut. That's what yeah, it If there it was
1: any part. way that I could have, uh, you know, had it on un- the total end of myself to decide whether or not to tell what happened and could see into the future how things had happened and how I would be treated, there's no way I'd say a word about it. I wouldn't recommend that, you know. It's just,
0: it's not worth the grief that uh, the world is going to give you. And it has been a lot of grief, hasn't it? Oh, yeah. Well, look, I want to thank you both for telling the story as it really was. Uh, and I, as I promised, I will get both of you copies of this program. Oh, thank you. All right. Thank you both for being on the air with us. Thank you, Mark. Take care. Good night. Uh, Travis Walton and Mike Rogers and um, I hope that you all enjoyed this I ended up not taking any calls because I wanted to get the story out I thought it was an important story these two um, strike me as very very honest individuals and I was very impressed by the story so I'd like to take a second out to um, tell you that if you would like a copy of this program And I can imagine that you would. It's probably one of the best renditions of the Travis Walton abduction. You can get it by calling 24 hours a day, beginning right now. 1-800-917-4278 Once again, 1-800-917-4278